0: Greetings and welcome to the podcast for the Diversity Action Team at the University of Dayton in the Division of Student Development. The following session has been recorded for the personal and professional development of staff within the Division of Student Development at the University of Dayton. If you have any questions, please email dat at udayton.edu. Again, that's dat at udayton.edu. everyone and we're so excited for you to join us in another episode of the podcast for the Diversity Action Team in the Division of Student Development at the University of Dayton. So excited to have with us today Dr. Larry Burnley and Tiffany Taylor-Smith who are our leaders of our Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Dr. Burnley serves as the Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion and Tiffany Taylor-Smith serves as the Executive Director for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. So thank you for being with us today. Uh, My name is Dr. Daria Graham and I'm going to lead us in a conversation that is really prevalent for us on campus right now, social distancing as a privilege. Thank you Dr. Burnley and thank you Tiffany Taylor-Smith for being with us. So I thought we would get started by just some guiding questions. Um, These podcasts are directed specifically to the Division of Student Development at the University of Dayton. I understand it may be helpful to other listeners, um, but we'll start with some questions around social distancing as a privilege. The Diversity Action Team at the University of Dayton is structured specifically to provide diversity education um, with a, a lens on student affairs and student development. And we have been challenged already. We know when we return to campus, um, if you're listening to this, and uh, you'll see this episode is being recorded as the world is dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we know from what has been shared nationally, internationally, that we will need to be transitioning back into our campuses and higher education. So, as part of that transition. Um, we all are gonna have to be thinking about social distancing. Social distancing has been named as one of the leading ways to prevent the spread of this disease. But we haven't really thought about the implications as it relates to um, our work individually and relationally with students. And so thank you for guiding us in this conversation. Dr. Burnley, we shared with the division uh, several several uh, pieces that they could read, a couple journal articles about this concept around social distancing. Would you share how this concept applies to higher education, particularly uh, for residential campuses like the University of Dayton?
1: Yes, thank you, Dr. Graham. Um, yeah, so, you know, this question of social distancing and its in, uh, impact or implications for higher ed uh, brought up for me a number of, of things. One. I recognize and I hadn't thought about it quite in this way before, but even before the pandemic, there was really kind of a structured uh, or pre-condition of social distancing as experienced by certain students, and staff for that matter, with certain identities. Um, uh, because of our identities, because of the reality of, of, of power and privilege. Uh, uh, for persons say for example of color at predominantly white institutions there's a way in which uh they're not totally embraced in terms of um of belonging you know there's a theory of 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 of, of belonging uh, a social theory of belonging that that said there's a need for us to feel uh to, to feel you know embraced we know that our students uh of color oftentimes do not experience that at pwis we also know Uh, persons with LGBTQ plus identities persons with certain types of either cognitive or physical disabilities they're navigating uh, spaces where their norms are set up by uh, dominant and and privileged populations so there's distancing if you will or social distancing Mm -hmm. that they have to overcome so that's one Um, but as I want to kind of respond to students of color I, I realized in in terms of the pandemic students of color have found on predominantly white campuses as you all know spaces such as mech um you know the kind of multicultural spaces if you will across higher education these are spaces where uh, where they're finding that sense of belonging these are spaces where they can feel a tongue, uh, they can feel embraced, sense of belonging, safety, and now because of this pandemic that space is being really taken away from them. So I'll stop there because i like to talk maybe more about what the impact of that could potentially be for these students.
0: I appreciate you bringing up the, that there's already this issue of social distancing that's not new to our marginalized student population and in a lot of ways will their anxieties and their challenges of feeling that sense of belonging will be heightened um because even more so the spaces where they find safety like the cultural centers will be even more uh condensed or missing because of the way in which we now need to to navigate that space on campus Um, Tiffany, what suggestions do you have for staff as we structure our programs and facilities to align with the anticipated guidelines for social distancing while considering social distancing as a privilege? And I'll add to that 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 social distancing will not go away. Um, To Dr. Burnley's point, students may have felt this social distancing in the classroom but there was this understanding as soon as I get out of class I can go be in the dining hall or I can go be in the lounge and be with my people now it's going to be consistent in the classroom six feet apart in the dining hall you know maybe not even they may be even turned away because the capacity that's already in there so what suggestions do you have as we restructure and consider you know these the marginal identities and impact Thank you, Dr. Graham. I, I echo
2: the, the feedback and the comments that Dr. Burling has shared. What I think is important as staff think about what to do and support students, first is kind of own where they are. Um, as an adult, as a staff member, regardless of my own identity, um, my life experiences, how am I processing um, social distancing um, from, a, from a personal perspective around my own life? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to me and my family? Because I would find it very difficult to help students if I haven't owned for myself, what does it mean to me? I mean, what does it mean to my life as I've tried to navigate this space and this time? That's first and foremost. I can't help, you know, I often talk about, you know, on the airplane, they talk about you gotta put your, your mask on first before you help someone else. Uh, yeah. you, you have to do that. <laughs> you yeah. can't help yeah. anyone else if I haven't thought about what it means to me. So yeah. I invite yeah. everyone um, to kind of think about what is it meant to you? What is it meant to your family? And, and um, Dr. Burnley and I have had this conversation around, you know, is this, this started and, and we were forced to go work at home I was very much aware of the privilege I had to go to a home um, and to have resources. I had Wi-Fi. We had multiple computers uh, for each of my, my children to have access to resources and that we could get in our car and drive to the grocery store. So there was never, you know, again, it, it was about a personal, like, And if I didn't feel well, I have health insurance. I could call my doctor and have a conversation with my doctor and determine if I need a test. Those were just things that I automatically had access to. So I invite people to think about what was my own experience um, as I transitioned to this. And then for me, that then translates into my ability to be empathetic and understand what our students are experiencing. Because we both know, we all know there's a range of experiences that our students um, are faced with as we all grapple with um, our ways of reality, our new reality in this pandemic and as students transition home. So first and foremost personal awareness of what this has meant to you um, as a staff member um, within the university and how in your own personal life and then your ability to understand a student's experience. So there's a raise around we need to think about empathy, awareness, and listening and that not every student's experience is the same and not placing value or judgment on a student's experience that may be one different than my own, but also different than their peers. Um, so that's before you even begin to think about how I support you got to start there. And then secondly, working within the guidelines how do I support students? Um, what might that look like? And, and more importantly, how do I engage with students to hear their story and to hear their experience? Because it, it validates um, the student knowing that you are listening. You're trying to understand my experience and then and then creatively working together or in groups around how we support students given our current reality. It's, it's nothing for me to sit in my you know, space and create. How can I support students? I gotta talk to them, right? I have to understand their stories, their experiences, what this has meant for them. And there's nothing like collective power of hearing that and then collectively coming up with ways that we can do this um, in ways that that they have input in. Um, And it it gives them accountability and like, yeah, okay, one, you're listening to me, you're understanding my story, but also you're asking my opinion and then figuring out how we can act on that together. Sure. Thank
0: you. You you bring up a, a point I think we should really stick a a pin in or or take some time with, and that is first owning that my experience is informing always the work that I do, the decisions that I'm making, the the recommendations that I'm making, and where am I purposely pausing and looking at my assumptions, my assumptions that this decision will be, that it's universal, that um, it's, you know, everyone would be able to comfortably navigate this decision, particularly when my assumptions are steeped in my own privilege. For example, the um, you mentioned the lounge, and so I do have the charge to think about what is our social space in our center look like, and the assumptions I, sh- I will make, I need to be careful about the assumptions I will make about students being, able, being okay with the decisions I make. Because our assumptions are often steeped in our own privilege. Any thoughts about that? Just how do we navigate? We talked about how difficult it is to think outside of your own privilege. Any tools that you can suggest um, to help folks do that?
1: Well, let me, you know, this, I'm gonna try to bridge this because it's also something Tiffany said that I wanted to to kind of uh, piggyback on as well. So it's one thing for us to recognize, you know, the impact of social distancing on marginalized and minoritized students in predominantly white institutions. Um, But how do we build the capacity for the university to effectively address those issues? Um, How do we, you know, so we we know that there are implications in terms of mental health issues or we have students because of larger systemic issues who have families back home who are being disproportionately impacted by this pandemic in ways that some authors are saying can be catastrophic, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, not only uh, contagions but in terms of death. And so, And we know that uh, these concerns, the trauma, the anxiety, uh, which is now being uh, uh, exacerbated because of social distancing will have impact on academic performance and work performance, for faculty and staff. How do we build the capacity institutionally to create the kind of awareness among faculty, among mental health uh, professionals, uh, our staff, student development staff, so we can then effectively engage and address uh, what students are actually experiencing how are we helping creating the spaces um and the professional development opportunities that creates a more a greater awareness and more of a, uh, a consciousness of these issues that moves us beyond our assumptions but, uh, uh, that moves us and challenges us to think and even identify what our assumptions are what has informed them and how do they inform assumptions inform how we um, engage students and, pin, and put together the practices and protocols that we think are responding to their needs. Yeah. Fundamentally, that's, that's a critical issue uh, because we, we can't stay at a place where we're inviting faculty and staff to go to. At UD, of course, we have the Inclusive Excellence Academy or other kinds of uh, efforts across campus aimed at creating greater capacity uh, to drive us towards realizing inclusive excellence. We're inviting, but people are saying they can opt out and still be okay. We have to create uh, an environment of expectation and policies that does not leave this, uh, the decision to enter or not these spaces as an option, uh, but that it's an expectation. So that way we're a better position to effectively address um, the kinds of uh, challenges and issues we're, we're discussing. here.
0: And how important it is to do it at every level, right? At the institutional, but also in our units. Absolutely, every um, level. Every, every level. level.
1: Every level. I, I would say, especially
0: at the senior level, because it's going to be at that level
1: where they're going to shape and form the kinds of decisions, the kind of environment. That's, I guess, it's this so-called trickle-down effect. I don't really like that kind of hierarchical model, but I'm going to say that because you know what happens at that level will influence um, you know the expectations and the kinds of um, ways in which we're evaluating uh, practices uh, and, and performance across the universe.
2: Sure. And Larry, I think it's, it's a both and for me that it has to happen at that level, but it also has to happen. It's kind of like that, that, like it has to happen at the top. It has to, it's got to be happening throughout the entire it system. It needs to be pervasive. It needs With to be pervasive. leadership, right. Yeah. It
1: Absolutely. has to be pervasive, no doubt.
2: Yeah.
0: Sure. I, I think it's important too, to say here to every listener that one of the things that's important to let go of is this feeling of inadequacy or feeling an indictment as if Um, you're being told you don't know something. Because that's what we often run up against when we start requiring this kind of education. Um, It's, you know, this this assumption that uh, when I tell you that this is required to participate in, that I'm also insulting you. Um, We also need to, to own that we each need to be learning and prioritizing this work in every position that we have if we really want to be adequate at it and to my fellow student development workers I know that we are dealing with crisis and at some point you have to figure out how do I prioritize my work I would just offer to each of us that this is always just as important as the other crises that we're working on so how do you make sure it stays high priority Um, before we leave I think it's important for us to or before we wrap up I think it's important to talk about cultures that are built on connection because I've been in more than one space where we're starting to use these terms like we can be connected and not be in the same space or community doesn't require proximity and those are those kinds of assumptive statements that really aren't taking into consideration how cultures that really are built on me hugging someone or seeing putting my eyes on someone and looking at them and saying I I know what you're going through or I know you haven't been to class right and so this can you talk a little bit about how cultures are really built on connection personal connection and what it's like to now have to ask to not be you know, not eat together, not fellowship together, not be in community together.
2: It's been interesting because I've I've been in Dayton and 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 I come from a hugging family. I, I tell people up front, like, we are a hugging family. And, yeah. you know, when I meet folks, once I've got a relationship, built relationship with you, even if it's been an hour, it's probably, I'll ask, are you okay with me hugging you? It's been great talking to you. And I haven't hugged my mother in over two months. And that's just like, you know, that's a struggle. And, and I realized that <laughs> Even from the facial contact, facial recognition, my daughter and I were talking about how when you have a face mask on, you can't tell that I'm smiling. You can't see through my eyes that I'm smiling at you. And that right there, as you think about spaces where we are all going to be in together, when you can't see my greeting or see my friendliness. And, and, and Larry and I have had this conversation, particularly for African-American men. I mean, if it's cold and I, he has a hood on, he's got a mask on, that's problematic in so many ways, just even before you had to put a mask on. So there are ways in which we need to be having these conversations across groups of people to talk about what is some of the implicit bias that I carry as a result of that, that I may not even be aware of when I see someone Um, my daughter had a reaction to someone. She was looking at them, waiting for them to move, but they couldn't see that he was smiling, just waiting. And he kept looking at her like she had something she was, you know, upset about. And she's like, it's okay. She had to literally say words that Mm -hmm. expressed that she wasn't having any animosity for that person. We've got to
0: talk about that. It's yeah. interesting to say that. We went to yeah. the store the other day and my son had on a black hoodie and he put the mask on and we begged him, please take that hoodie off. You cannot go in there with that hoodie and that mask on. I don't care that it's the neighborhood store and I'm sitting in the car. And I still got out the car and went with him.
1: Yeah, that's real. That's reality. Know, another, another dimension of this is how our culture can actually work against us in this environment. I'm reminded of how of, of, of spaces of worship. You know that the 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 uh, shelter in place and the distancing has uh, prevented us from being in places of worship. You know, like the cultural centers. These are spaces where we're fed, where we're encouraged, where we're, you know, energized, renewed, strengthened. Now that we're going back into worship, uh, many many churches. We're our culture in in many of our our churches is very expressive and we've already said it's very touchy but we shout and we praise and and it's very verbal it's very vocal well that can work against us you know when we're talking about contagions right
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um
1: you think of uh, other types of churches and i'll try not to identify any particular ecclesial identity or even race for that matter but certain churches where the culture is more cerebral. Uh, uh, and so they're, they're kind of listening. Um, well, that reduces the, 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 the potential of the spread of contagion. So having a mask and worship is not really an issue. Um, so culture plays uh, an interesting role uh, in, in both uh, helping us, but in some ways, there are ways in which we need to identify how some of our cultural norms need to be suppressed for the sake of our health.
0: Sure, sure. Wow. One of the... this uh, I promise now this is the last thing, but um, one of the things that we need to, I think, really consider in the vision too, is those hidden messages mm-hmm. that can be in what is what we couched as the common good. For example, and I could can be candid with mm-hmm. this because it's something that's being discussed all over, If we go into and say, okay, cultural centers are not going to be congregating because of social distancing, but those same students look out the window and see groups of students in our neighborhood, in our student neighborhood, we have inadvertently told a marginalized group, you can't do what a majority group is doing, you know, right across the street as they continue to have these house parties or and I know that the division is going to be looking at how do we mitigate that, but there are these hidden messages when I'm told I need to do something, but then I look at my colleagues that have a, a, a more a more a different privileged identity. And it seems to me that they're not abiding by the same thing that I've been told I have to. So I mentioned that because as a division, I do think it's important for us to keep these things in the center of our conversation as we are adjusting um, the capacities of our buildings, the programs that we can and cannot to, ha- um, to offer. What does it mean to our students when these things are also true? my culture is built on feeling a sense of belonging connected to proximity my um, sense of community means i have group dinners every night where i debrief with my friends and now you all are saying it can only be two at a table we we cannot stop at creating the, the 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 processes and procedures without thinking about the so what then what is the impact of these decisions? We have to make these decisions, yes. But there's another step after that.
1: Thoughts? Yeah, yeah I, I I, think, you know, it speaks what you're addressing here, speaks to the need for us to make sure we're developing culturally relevant, cu- culturally uh, responsive ways of, a, of, a, of, a, of developing alternative ways of engagement. Lots of things going on online right now in virtual space. But there's cu- cultural relevancy even with that, right? It's like it's not like culture is um, irrelevant now that we're in virtual space. How do we develop alternative ways of engaging now that these resources of being in common spaces physically are gone? Then what? It is a then what. It's not a so what. It's a then what, and that then what has to be um, culturally relevant, culturally responsive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um, so yeah. So how do we how do we use these spaces to, to um, you know create alternatives to uh, what's taken away from us?
0: There are other considerations that we could discuss today regarding our topic of social distancing as a privilege. One of the populations that often gets um, forgotten in these conversations. Research says that it's often the, the the hidden population on campus, and that is our graduate students. Again, this is a population that it can be disproportionately impacted as we try to navigate what will be required of us on this campus and many others. And so again, we offer today not as an indictment or as a agitation to a conversation that's already being had, but really to a a tool to assist us in broadening our conversations as we make these decisions. I thank you for your time today. Any other final thoughts before we conclude?
2: I'll just add one um, and I kind of always go back to giving each other grace and patience um, as we navigate this and that we are not perfect. We're not gonna get always get it right when I always don't say it right. But to be patient with each other and be able to listen and and not be defensive um, or fearful of of the of it not being right and, and be willing to navigate um, this new territory uh, together um, and being open to learning as we go. Grace can, and benefit of Dr. the ben, doubt. I just want, yes, grace and benefit of the doubt. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Thank you for an taking- invitation. All right. Thank you for taking the time, both of you. Um, Thank you,
1: Dr. Graham. This has been a really great opportunity to, to discuss these issues.
0: I appreciate you taking the time out, and I'm excited for the division to be able to um, take a few minutes out to listen to this episode and to use it as a way to really encourage some conversation and to see it as a assistance and a tool Um, on work that I already know our colleagues are thinking about, but this is just helping us broaden the conversation and and hopefully helping to be good thinking partners. Be looking out for Inclusive Excellence Academy uh, events. They'll be happening virtually. Absolutely, coming in the fall.
2: Yes, we're building the schedule. Absolutely. Please
0: know that Dr. Burnley and Tiffany Taylor Smith Smith both serve as continued resources, so you can reach out to them via email. Um, as thinking partners in your areas and in the restructure of your programs. Be blessed and we hope to we'll see each other soon. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Bye bye. Thank
0: you.